0: Let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we consider this 35th chapter, Lord, we pray that you open up our hearts and minds to what the Scriptures have for us. Remove all distractions and burdens of this world, Father, that we might more attentively pay attention and focus and feed off of your word. We ask, Father, your blessings, only the blessings you could provide for us here this evening. Be with us and strengthen us for the journey that lies ahead as we go about the rest of our week. And Lord, we ask, Lord, a special uh, patience and long-suffering for those who aren't able to be with us on Wednesdays, Lord, that uh, we might be able to edify them, even in conversation over the things that we learn and discuss and rejoice over on Wednesday nights. Father, we ask again that you be glorified, you receive all the honor and praise, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 35, verses 1 through 8, we get our title, Let Us Go Into the House of the Lord, a little bit more from Psalm 122, verse 1, which is a pretty familiar verse, but it says there, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And we did teach on Psalm 122, I think in the last four or five months. But that's really what kind of, that was the title that I was inspired to use here. And the previous events of Genesis led to the Lord bringing Jacob and his house to Bethel. And this word Bethel literally means house of God, which is maybe how you can see how I got there. Um, this chapter is a little different than the previous chapter. Uh, as I was not here last Sunday, just as a point of review, in uh, the beginning of Genesis 34, Dinah was defiled by those in the land of promise, the land that we know to be Canaan. Uh, she was defiled, and then her brothers sought revenge. And the form of their revenge was to convince the, uh, the locals, the Shechemites, if you will, that as long as they circumcised themselves, uh, Jacob's household would enter in unto them, and they would be welcome to enter in unto them, and so on and so forth. Uh, but as the men were weakened by the circumcision, they took the sword, came upon the city boldly, as we read in Genesis thirty-four twenty-five, and slew all the males. So where we start here in Genesis 35 uh, is now that they slewed, slew, slown all the men, killed all the men, uh, they, in a sense, have uh, POWs. They have those that they've taken, The reputation Jacob's worried about is that he will be overthrown, that others will hear what they have done, and he's not of the size and the capacity to defend the actions that his sons took. Genesis 34 left Jacob in the fear of the wrath of man. Possibly even fear over what has become of his children. He's got a daughter who's been raped, and he's got sons who have plundered. This is a despicable situation to be in for a household, to say the least. But what a wonderful thing to find that here in the first eight verses of Genesis 35, God, seeking to be a father unto him, keeping the promise that he had made, despite all of the journeys that Jacob has taken since, speaks now and calls for him to come out from among them. Very familiar verse, as I've recited it many times from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, come out from among them, be ye separate It's the same command unto us. But God has to specifically say to Jacob, come out. Come out of the world. What you've seen of your sons, what you've seen of your daughter, the results of these things, come out from the world. And at times, beloved, we have to come out from being among the world. We have to reset our hearts and minds on the Word of God. I would say daily. I would say quite often. We need to get into the Word of God and come out as much as possible even on your work days, from the world, that we might remove the clutter, remove the confusion, remove the clouds, and see plainly what God has for us. Now this place where he's called him to go is a place where he and God were once together before. This is the place where Jacob once dreamt of God, seeing the latter, which we talked about being a type of Jesus, as he fled from the wrath of Esau after taking the blessing of Isaac. Listen to Genesis 28, verses 11 through 16. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set upon the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest to thee, I will I give it. And to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And we see that's the promise that God is still not forsaken. And then it concludes with Jacob awoke, or awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Which is kind of a significant thing to read Jacob saying the last time he was in Bethel, and he's being brought back to Bethel with that same reminder. The Lord is in this place. The Lord has made a promise unto thee. And I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us go into Bethel. Let us come out from the world and return to the footstep of God. According to the account, this would be Jacob's first return to this place. How long have we lived removed from the place that we know God to be at? Maybe the place where he found us and revealed that he found us, I should say. Maybe it's the place where we first found him and for me, that's the key KJV. That's the Bible itself. This is where I found God. And this is where I should return when I'm seeking God. And I pray that is indeed the case for you as well. You are not where you should be. And you are not living as you should be was the message God had for him. Leaving Jacob broken and repentant. He had backslidden and needed to return unto God. Warren Wiersbe wrote, a backslidden believer does not need a new experience to get right with God. He needs only to reaffirm the old experience in a new way. We have defined it in the past here, backslidden being not as close to God as we once were. And the old preachers before us would say, God has not moved. That means we have. That means we have strayed. With encouragement, that came from chastisement, as we uh, know Hebrews 12, verses 7-8 through says, if ye endure chastening... God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. But with encouragement of the Lord, listen to how Jacob now addressed his households, and this includes the servants, and likely includes those that that just lost all their men folk to Jacob's children. He says in the text, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean. And change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. Once again, this pliable Jacob, who meagerly said nothing at the news of his daughter being raped, and meagerly had no answer for his boys when they looked to their father to handle the situation, and had just about as much to say after the boys did what they did, and they came back and said, should they have treated our sister as though she's a harlot? And Jacob seemingly has nothing to say. But with a chastening of God, a chastening of God, suddenly we see a man again in this household. Suddenly Jacob rises up with a a decision on his heart. Put away the old garments! Put away the false gods! Come out from among these things and let us return to where I once found God in the time of my distress. This is a leader. This is one the people will follow. And they did. He seemingly recognizes the presence of strange gods or false idols. He addresses their filth and their need for new garments. They could not worship in spirit and in truth while hanging on to traditions, idols, and worldly appearances. And neither will we. We. They were to be separate, they were to be holy, and they were to be zealous, and so are we. Look at what his household had lost during the critical teenage years of the eldest children of the home. While in Shechem, the rape of Dinah, the wrathful hearts of the sons of Jacob, look at what their lack of holiness had also cost their worldly neighbors, the massacre of the Shechemite males and the capture of their wives and children. What a testimony they had in the community. Bringing in those captives and their belongings would no doubt have also brought in their idols and their practices. Remember that during the fall in Genesis 3, the world was impacted by the sinfulness of man. Everything changed. And we talked about this at the beginning part of this study, but everything began to change. And everything also changed at the global flood. The canopy collapsed, the water springing forth from Uh, from the, the mantle or the crust of the earth itself, everything changed. And why? Because of man's sin. See, this sin in Jacob's house wasn't just a sin in Jacob's house. It was a sin that impacted an entire community. How dangerous is sin? Well, it wiped out every Shechemite male. Some will say, well, it's because Dinah was raped. No, it's not because Dinah was raped. It's amazing how many times God's people are given an opportunity to be like God in forgiving and showing grace and loving. And every time we don't, listen Christians, every time we New Testament followers abandon the Christian way, abandon God's way, abandon the way that Christ Jesus came to be an example of, bad things happen. We are either his, or we are not. James four four, as we read on Sunday, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. If they wanted what Abraham had, they would need to live differently. Abraham's called a friend of God's. If that's where Jacob's household desired to be, they weren't going to go about it in the same methods that they've been practicing. Note here what was included with the idol worship described. They gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, all their earrings which were in their ears. Have you given thought to what idols you might have living in your home unawares? What idols you uh, made traditions of and over that ought not to be so? When you get home tonight, walk through your home as one who is visiting for the first time. What can they immediately tell about you by what they see? by what's hanging on the walls, by what's maybe on the, the welcome mat as you walk in. Does everything point to the Lord? If you're His, it ought to. If you're His, there's no way for you to be of no reputation and point to anything but God. What should you do with it? If you go home tonight and you find a few things that don't point to God, what should you do with it? I think it's being modeled for us. There's a lot of things in Genesis 35 that are put to death. A lot of things. What does Christ Jesus tell us to do? Consecrate the flesh. Mortify the flesh. Die unto yourself. Bear your cross and follow after me. Let us know what they did with these items. Jacob hid them under an oak, which was by Shechem. Uh, the problem with man removing sinful things from their lives and hiding them is that they Uh, is that at least one in the home knows where they hid it. It'd be better for them to dig Deborah up from the Oak of Weeping, that Alan Bacchus that's mentioned there, it means Oak of Weeping. It'd be better for them to dig her up than to go back and dig up these sins under this other oak tree. These are two of four graves that we will see in this chapter. The first was the grave for the idols, the second was the grave for Deborah, the third will be the grave for Rachel, and the fourth... In uh, verse 29 will be the death of Isaac. This oak that was now host to their, idol, their old idols would have been very close to the same oak that Abraham, then Abram, first rested way back in Genesis 12 when he first came through the area before the famine that drove him to Egypt. And if you want to turn there, it's Genesis 12, verses 5-9. through 9. I'll read it for you. It says, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land under the place of Sikkim, uh, it's pronounced Sikkim there, under the plain of Moray, which is literally translated as the name of the oak, which means directly teacher. And the Canaanite was then in the land, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And as we had mentioned when we were going through Genesis uh, 28, uh, I tried to uh, point that out, that this same area where he slept, where he made the pillow of rocks, uh, was very, very close to an altar that Abraham had once built. And this is the reference to that in Genesis 12. And it says, And he removed thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south, Genesis 12, verses 5 through 9. The terror of God, according to our text, was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Praise the Lord. There is no such thing as the terror of Isaac, the terror of Steve, the terror of Joe, that's going to make a man quake, It's going to make a man change his ways, It's going to freeze a man in his place. God brings about this kind of terror. God brings about this kind of reverence, this kind of change in a man, but man won't. Our commission is to give the gospel as we talked about on Sunday. Our commission is to give the gospel without shadow, without type of turning, without standing in the way of it, present Christ Jesus as purely as possible. We would often quote Joseph as I'm about to do, in reference to what others have attempted to do to God's people. However, it does seem to apply here to what God's people tried to do to themselves in usurping His will. Genesis 50, verses 20-21 through 21 is what I'm referencing, where Joseph tells his brethren, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them, Spake kindly unto them. These words, if you think about it, applying to Jacob's household at that present moment, they meant evil unto themselves. This is what we do when we respond vengefully to things, the harm is caused to ourselves. I mentioned when we talked about this the last time that Jacob's sons essentially taught religion to the Shechemites, they taught them circumcision. It wasn't of God, it wasn't God's commandment. But they essentially taught to be accepted, ye must practice this. Which is why I said last time, it's a type of sacramental atonement. For us to be equal, you share what you have and we share what we have, you must do first this thing. And this is what they were teaching the Shechemites. It's what they unintentionally taught the wives and children who survived the massacre. But the evil that they sought to do under the Shechemites, the evil that they brought about for themselves, God uses it for good. And listen to what Joseph speaks of here as a type. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and he spake kindly unto them. This situation that Jacob's household is now in, there's a lot of us that would say it deserves some mean words from God. It deserves a lightning crack across the face. Jacob's not leading his home, Jacob's not being a godly example. Jacob forgot Bethel. Are you kidding me? You dream about a ladder of angels going up and down on this ladder and you forget all about it? You've abandoned God? And by the way, your name is Israel. What a, what a disgrace. But what does God do? He comforted them. He spake kindly unto them. He nourished them and their little ones. He required holiness. He required repentance what he did not deliver on his wrath to Jacob in his home. We ought to be thankful for that. Because every little sin that we've committed today, we deserve the same thing we tried to pronounce on Jacob in that example. We deserve every bit of it, if not for the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Irony of ironies here in that Joseph in Genesis 50 is speaking to the same sons of Jacob, was he not? The same sons who did to, that, to him later uh, that thing that he was addressing, which I won't get to yet, is the same audience that I'm applying it to now. God cared for the promised seed. God preserved this promised seed. Now Jacob was right at the end of Genesis 34. They were outnumbered. They were outgunned by the tribes that were around them. But God stayed their hands. It is always God that makes the difference. Even if Jacob outnumbered those tribes, if God had for them to perish there, they would have surely perished. David took down Goliath, after all. Just a handful brought down uh, a multitude of things throughout the Old Testament. And it's the same God that worked in those situations that was working in this situation. The actions of Jacob's sons had taught the world to fear God. Would this have been the Creator's intention in Genesis 34? For fear and sacrificial or sacramental atonement or or works? Is that what He wanted them to do? To teach the world such things? Was it not the direct consequence of Adam's fall that they responded in the way that they did? Consider again the events of the garden for that answer. And if we turn over to Genesis chapter 3, we can look at verses 7 through 13. Because as we're chasing down and tracking this promised seed, we can see evidence that Scripture adamantly supports this entire lesson, this entire journey. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 7, and the eyes of them both were opened, talking of Adam and Eve, and they knew that they were naked. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is, it this, what is this that thou hast done? If we look at the word naked, and it, you can also use the word exposed. Am I right? And we can... I'm not going to argue the translation of the KJV, but we understand that if I were standing here naked, I would also be standing here fully exposed. And Adam and Eve are fully exposed before God. And Jacob's circumstance presently in our text, he is fully exposed before God. His parenting style, his leadership in the home, the consequences of their actions, their wrathfulness, his hesitation, and his forgetting Bethel. All of this fully exposed before God. But what does God say? Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God. The same God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. The same God who will later, through Joseph, say, Fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. These young men that did this atrocity to the Shechemites will eventually discuss murdering Joseph. They will eventually discuss and act on selling Joseph. And they will forget Joseph. And on and on and on we go. This is a lesson that, um, though we see Jacob strongly leading here, there are some words I wish we read in Genesis 35. Why are we going to Bethel, Dad? What is in Bethel? Why are we doing away with all these idols that clearly you've tolerated up till now? These are our precious things. We cherish them. The ladies likely liked those earrings. He says, leave them behind. They bury them. They they essentially put them to rest. The conclusion of our text is for today sees Bethel renamed to El Bethel which means the strong god of the house of god This is an interesting thing it's not just a place then is it It's sort of like this building it's just a place what makes this place special is the strong god of the house of god It is the god that meets us here in worship It is the God that leads us here, that feeds us here, that saves us perhaps here, that renews our strength here in this place. It's not this place. It's the strong God of this place. What if Jacob would talk more about that? What might be avoided in that Genesis 50 verse, in that that situation there? And of course we know they meant it for harm, God meant it for good, but what if they didn't mean it for harm? What if there was no more harm to be meant? What if they had an instructor in the home that showed them this strong God, even in this moment of weakness? I know I say this a lot with this study, but dads and moms, it's not too late. It's not too late to teach healing. It's not too late to teach forgiveness. It's not too late to grow in the Lord and to instruct our children that God is bigger than we are, mightier than we are, and when he leads, we must answer. What an important lesson for our children, for our neighbors, for our spouses. One other note to make as we close would be that Deborah would have been someone Jacob had known his entire life. She was the, uh, as we see in the text there in that final verse, she was the nurse unto Rebecca. Rebecca, being from Haran, being uh, Jacob's mother. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about what we can assume has happened so far that we don't read in the text as far as his mother's passing uh, and him visiting his dad, it's very likely that he did visit his dad because at some point he picked up this nurse or this handmaid. Uh, but this woman who dies is not just some stranger that you know fluffs the pillows and cleans the tents. This was would have been somebody he had known his entire life. She came with his mother, uh, mother Rebecca, from Padanaram, which she first left to marry his father Isaac back in Genesis 24. And every once in a while through this study, we have this, we have these moments where. Everything seemingly points back to some things. So you'll forgive me if we read Genesis 12 and 28 and 24, but it's the beauty of this book is that it continues to point back to things we already know happened, but we have the luxury of reviewing them. So she would have come out in that precious chapter about the faithful servant back in Genesis 24. She likely tended to Jacob uh, from birth, and at some point she joined Jacob's entourage And it's a very, as I said, very strong evidence that Jacob had visited his father at least once since he came back into the land of Canaan. It's also proof that his mother had since passed away because this woman would have uh, likely been trusted to care for her her entire life. Uh, She possibly even, Deborah possibly would have even been a mother figure or a grandmother figure to the children until the point of her passing. So. Uh, Though we don't have a lot of of other things to say about her in this chapter, it's important that we don't just blow by who this woman would have been to Jacob. Um, And that's all we have for those first eight verses.